You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Good morning. Happy 2022. My name is Mark Shaw. Uh, I'm going to be presenting the message for us today. And the title of the lesson is 2022, the year of experimenting faithfully. 2022, the year of experimenting faithfully. Uh, there's a brother named Mo Mashara, and uh, he introduced me to a company, a bunch of scientists that got together and wrote a book called Crucial Conversations. And that book I found was just utterly amazing. And so I went out and saw what other material they had. They also wrote a book named Change Anything. So I read that book. And uh, that's our little joke in the house that uh, I read Change Anything and my wife keeps complaining. Just anything, honey. Just change anything. So that's the um, so I'm trying. I'm trying. They say in this book, the reason that we fail is that we blame it all on our lack of willpower. You know, you try to lose weight. You try to stop uh, doing certain habits and you just it's your willpower. That's the problem. And then they say that, well, they actually say that that's our problem. We blame it on willpower. They say that willpower is just one of six keys. You say, all right, one of six keys. And then they go on to list the six keys. Here we go. You got six categories. I'm not overwhelmed. And they tell you after this, you know what? Even when you do all this, you're still going to fail for crying out loud. You know, you're, you're doing it wrong. And then they tell you how to do it right. And then they say, you're still going to fail. And then they say, the next step is this. You got to change your perspective, your world view about failure and success. They say you need to see your entire life as an experiment. You are the scientist and you are the test subject. So if I ate the entire bag of chips at 11 o'clock at night, I'm not a failure. That was just a failed experiment. And you know what? I can move on. If I stayed up and I watched, I binged two shows when I really know I should have just stopped with the cliffhanger. That's okay. It's a failed experiment. If I want to learn from it, you need to study you. Instead of seeing a misstep as a failure, see it as good news. That you now have one more data point about what is not going to work. You know, you go to a restaurant and you order the salmon and you're expecting a lot and it tastes not so good, but it was expensive. And you know what? You could be a failure or you could say, you know what? Um, I now know that I'm not going to ever go back there for salmon again. I am, I'm so much wiser today than I was yesterday. So I decided in 2021 to experiment with my health. And uh, one year ago, I weighed 210.8 pounds. So uh, that was January 1st. Got on the scale. We had just returned from Germany where I had eaten lots of chocolate and lots of German rolls and cheese. I mean, I just love German food. All right. So lived there for many years. So uh, 203 pounds is considered to be obese. So I figured... I should probably get a handle on this, and hey, it's awesome. I don't have the German chocolate anymore, and the German, uh, they call them Brötchen. I'm not going to have those anymore either. 
Uh, but the problem is today I weigh exactly the same. Wait a second. Let me remove my backpack. Oh, I feel a lot lighter now. You know what this is? This is a 14-pound bowling ball. And this. So two 14-pound bowling balls. And you know what? They're heavy. So I'm going to ask whoever's sitting up there up front. Is that Vincent? Okay, Vincent, here, take one. All right, and I'm going to have you pass them around because they're really heavy. And if you got two of them, it's really heavy. 28 pounds is a lot. So now I'm 182. And it was done through a lot of experimentation. See, if you're curious, uh, if you're curious about my experimenting, it includes a combination of several things, with the key factor being intermittent fasting. And I could go in and I could probably go 20 minutes on what I did. And if you're interested, I've been telling a lot of people the story. And I've tried a lot of things. And I failed at some of them. I'm not really good at doing those high-intensity interval trainings. I hate it. So you know what? I don't do it. I don't like doing cardio for half an hour, so I don't do it. Should I? Yes. Is it on my list that I want to grow in? Yes. Those experiments failed. Other experiments went really, really well. And uh, I'll tell you more about that some other time if you're interested. So 2022, the year of experimenting faithfully. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story in the Bible about experimentation and failure, but faithful experimenting. Failure, but they tried again. And uh, this is the story of Naaman. How many of you heard of a guy named Naaman in the Bible? All right. So I googled uh, the story of Naaman, and let's take a look here at what I found. All right. So there's a movie. It's coming out in 2022 about the story of Naaman. And uh, today, that's what we're going to talk. The cast is amazing. Let me introduce the characters. You've got Anna de Armas. I don't know how you pronounce that properly. I just butchered it. I'm sorry. She plays the captive enslaved servant girl. Then we've got Dwayne Johnson. He plays Naaman. He's the general of the enemy country. All right. He's actually not a good guy. Then you got Priyanka Chopra. She's Naaman's wife. And uh, she has a small role, but without her, nothing happens. You've got Harrison Ford. He's the Naaman's king. So he's in charge. He's overseeing the entire country of Aram. And then you have Idris Elba, one of my most favorite actors in the world, Luther, etc. And uh, he plays Elisha, the prophet of God. You know, you've heard of Elijah. Elisha did more. I know it's hard to believe. He actually did more. And he was given a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And then you got Benicio del Toro. He plays Elisha's king, the king of Israel, who we would hope would be faithful, but isn't. 
So caution, there are spoilers ahead, because I'm going to give you a sneak peek into the story of Naaman that's coming out later in 2022. Are you ready? So if you want to... If you, if you want to see the movie and you, you, you're, you can leave right now, that's fine. I will respect you. But here we go. Spoilers ahead. Save yourself some trauma, though, if you want to, you know, don't want these. So let's read 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Okay? He was a four-star general. He was honored by his master, and he had much respect because the Lord used him to give victory to Aram. He was a mighty and brave man, but he had a skin disease. Some Bibles say he had leprosy. We don't really know for sure because that was a common term, leprosy, to describe all that. So let's take a look here uh, at this first character. His name is Naaman. He's played by The Rock. He is a brave man. He's got that going for him. But you know what? He's a bad guy. Can I get a boo? Boo! Come on. We can boo a lot than that. Come on. Boo! All right. So he's the bad guy. And he's the general of one of Israel's surrounding armies. His life was mostly together. And he thought, ah, I get how the spiritual world works. I get it. I'm awesome. And God blesses me. I'm mighty. I'm brave. And look where I've gotten Isn't it awesome to be me? I get it. My God, Rimon, has blessed me. Well, actually wasn't the case. Rimon didn't bless him. It was a different God. So uh, the next character is Naaman's king, the king of Aram. So he loved Aram. He respected Aram. He, uh, not Aram, he loved Naaman, respected him, and he honored him. He thought, I found the right guy, and somehow this guy, what he does works, so keep him on. Moving on. But Naaman didn't know why his life was so blessed. Because these blessings actually did come from the God of Israel. Now, this is just... So if you're a Jew and you're listening to this story, you're all of a sudden going, whoa, 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 whoa. Enemy, God blesses the enemy. Wait a second. In fact, this guy has attacked our country and God blessed him, no, 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 no. doesn't work like that. And yet, unbeknownst to him, it actually did. This is called foreshadowing. And the Bible says he had a skin disease, and whatever it was, it must have been bad. But here's the point. He was motivated. You know that one weakness in your life where you just go, gosh, I just could overcome that stupid thing. That's called motivation. Because if you're all into yourself and how awesome you are, I and mean, you've got about 82 awesome properties about you. But you got one thing that bugs you, and that's the thing that keeps you up at night. And that's the thing that God will use to draw you closer to him. Not all your 82 awesome things that he gave you at birth anyway. And maybe, okay, you got some bravery in there too. So, okay, you developed some, and we got to give you credit there. He was motivated. The Arameans had gone out to raid the Israelites. In verse 2 and 3, we see that the Arameans had gone out to raid the Israelites and had taken a servant girl as a captive. Let's read. The Arameans had gone out to raid the Israelites, had taken the servant girl as a captive. She's a good guy. Yay! The servant girl served Naaman's wife. 
She said to her mistress, I wish my master would meet the prophet who lives in Israel. He would cure him of his disease. So this is really crazy. Here's you've got someone who was who's a slave. She was captured and she probably wasn't treated awesomely. And yet she went beyond and she stayed faithful to her God over in Israel, although she's living here in Aram. And not only did she stay faithful, she had a soft heart. Verse four. So Naaman went to the king and told him what the servant girl from Israel had said. See, the servant girl is testing her faith by experimenting, by telling her mistress you know, that's kind of a risky move. And by the way, your God is like, you know, you can't get anything done. But the God over in Israel, where I come from, he handles this stuff. Naaman's wife experiments. She goes to her husband. And again, back in the day, women were property. Back until just a few hundred years ago, women were property. Okay? So it's not like, oh, you know, husband and wife, and she's going to tell him, and he's going to listen because he's trying to, you know, he's reading books on how the secret, seven secrets of, you know, effective husbanding. No. She talks to him, and she's taking a risk. And she's like, you know what, this silly little girl over here, she's got an idea, and you've tried everything, and, you know, all the cosmetics you buy from Amazon just don't do the job. So can you, you might want to consider it. I might kiss you more. He's like, he perks up. He says, all right, I'm going to go to my king. And he's taken a risk. You know the enemy that we just we can't get along with and over there and we capture their women and you know enslave them and they've got a God, apparently, who can heal me. And the guy's like, Seriously? What about Rimon? Isn't Rimon awesome? We love Rimon. Naaman experiments and even the king experiments. And the king sends a letter. And uh, it says here, <clears throat> oh, oh, one more thing. And Naaman says to himself, ah, I figured it out. We're doing the right thing. The answer's over there, not over here. Let's try some things. I am growing so much. I am so much wiser than I was yesterday. I get it now. I'm enlightened. I see how the world works. God's over there who can do healing of skin diseases. I'm maybe a country over there that do healing of other things, but... This is good. I'm open-minded. Second Kings 5, verse 5 and 6. The king of Aram said, go ahead and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So now he's taking a risk. He's doing something like he doesn't feel like doing. Enemy, Biden's going to call Putin and go, all right, I'm going to send you know, one of my generals over. And he's going to, you know, can you do him a favor? Can you hook him up with your medical? Not really so convenient. So Naaman left took with him about 750 pounds of silver as well as 150 pounds of gold, 10 changes of clothes. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so you can heal him of his skin disease. Verse 7. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes to show how upset he was. He said, I am not God. I can't kill and make alive again. Why does this man send someone with a skin disease for me to heal? You can see that the king of Aram is just trying to cause trouble for me. You see how much faith this king has? Instead of seeing this as an opportunity, he sees this whole situation as trouble, as he sees it as um, an obstacle. See, Abraham, the father of Israel, was told, I'm going to bless you. But I believe it's Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. I'm going to bless you. 
And you know what? You're going to be a blessing for all the other nations around you. And that was unique. That didn't happen. Nobody thought, oh, great, I'm going to become awesome so that I can, the Democrats are going to be awesome so that we can make the Republicans awesome. They're not thinking like that. Or vice versa. They're just thinking, I've got to protect my kind. But he didn't see it that way. So now, the message gets around. Uh, Naaman's still hanging out for some reason at the palace. And, I don't know, they're letting him stay there a few days. And somehow, message after a few days gets over to Elisha. Verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent the king this message. Why have you torn your clothes? Let Naaman come to me. And then he will know there is a prophet in Israel. That's one of those Arnold Schwarzenegger moments, you know, where he has his little quote, I'll be back type of thing. That's right there. Here we see a contrast. The man of God, Elisha, does have faith. And he sees this as an opportunity. And he thinks God is doing something, and I want to be along and watch what God does. 2 Kings 5, verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots to Elisha's house and stood outside the door with his motorcade of F-150s. And Naaman's thinking, I get it now. So Naaman packs up the caravan. He's got his hummers along. They're sitting outside of Elisha's little hut. The hummers are probably bigger than the hut itself. And Naaman's thinking, I get it. I get it. This is how stuff works. you got to go and hang out with the prophet. I am so much wiser than I was yesterday. I get it. I'm enlightened. And now what's going to happen is the prophet's going to come out and wave his hands and do some little, I don't know what, pen and teller kind of magic. And um, I'm going to be healed. I get it. Boy, am I growing spiritually. Verse 10. Elisha sent Naaman a messenger. Kevin Hart. Who said, go and wash in the Jordan River seven times, and then your skin will be healed and you will be clean. Now, I've heard Kevin Hart will be nominated for Best Supporting Actor role here. Uh, Incredible performance. Elisha doesn't show up. It's just... It's just uh, Kevin Hart, the messenger. Verse 11, but Naaman went away angry. He said, I thought he was going to surely come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hand all over the spot and cure me of my skin disease. And then we'd drive off into the sunset. And we'd be just cool. But Naaman had an expectation. He thought he understood. But let's look at reality. Reality was Kevin Hart shows up. Little dude, and says, uh, we don't really have time. He's kind of busy. If you could come back a little bit. I tell you what, just go to the river, Jordan River. It's one of our rivers. Dip yourself. Get baptized seven times. Reality was much different. Verse 12. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So Naaman turned and went off in a rage. And can't we all agree, Abana and Farpar... Such beautiful rivers. Such beautiful rivers. He's upset. Verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him and said, Naaman, if the prophet Elisha had told you to do some great thing, stand on your head at the top of the mountain. Would you not have done it? How much more than when he says, uh, wash and be cleansed. And you got to give it to these guys here. His servants are experimenting. 
<laughs> this is the four-star general, and you got a couple of lieutenants here. They're experimenting by saying, um, you think you might want to reconsider? I said, yeah, yeah, give a shot. Maybe it'll work. And Naaman says, ah, I get it now. The magic is in the local water. That's how it works. Rimon's the god of Aram. Rimon controls the magical powers over Aram. But now I'm here in Israel. Yahweh's the god of Israel. So to experience the magic of Yahweh, I've got to go into the river of Yahweh, which is the Jordan. I get it. I'm, it all makes sense. That is spirituality. I get it. And you know what? Piece by piece, he is getting it. He doesn't go from zero to a hundred like a Tesla and two point whatever. I don't know. He's God is pulling him along on this adventure of experimentation where he's trying to figure out God. And he keeps thinking he has it right now at the beginning of 2022. You're at a some someplace in the name and story. I don't know where you are. Maybe you've got the motorcade going. You're like, you know what? I'm going to drive over to so and so's house. He's got all the answers. God's going to give me that relationship. That'll have all my answers. And you know what? It'll bring you one step closer, possibly. Or you might be saying, that's just trouble. God's just giving me trouble instead of opportunity. So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. I think he means no zits, like not a teenage boy. That's that's I don't know why the young boy thing in there. And again, he says, I am healed. I am smooth like a baby. I get it. This God rocks. This Israelite God here who's got the Jordan River. I get it. Verse 15, then Naaman and all his attendants went back to Elisha, the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. And we think he gets it. But does he? Oh, man, do I get it? The magic number is seven. That's it. First six times, it didn't work. You got to go to the water. Then you got to do seven times. The magic number is seven. You got to be in Israel. How silly, of course. That's how spirituality works. Got to get your numbers right. I missed church that one Sunday. I know I, I did miss a quiet. Okay, seven out of seven days. Okay, probably 80% blessing. Don't just do the right thing in the right place. But you got to do it a specific numbers of times, number of times. Boy, was he learning Bible stuff. He was getting good at the Bible, wasn't he? Verse 15, then Naaman and all his attendants went back to Elisha, the man of God. Actually, we already read that. Did he get it is the question. Well, here's what happened. We want him to be a monotheist. Are you a monotheist? You probably are. Now, he wasn't. He was what you call a Henotheist, henotheism, it's like monolatry. Those are two words, and I'll, you'll forget them. I, I had to look them up again. I don't even know how to pronounce henotheism. So mon- monolatry is a combination of monotheism and idolatry, very similar to henotheism, which is, you know what? you got your God. you got the God of Canada. you got the saint of Mexico City. And you got the saint over here. you got the God of the United States, and then you got the God of Saudi Arabia. You got all these different and we all have our own God. That is henotheism. My God is bigger and badder than your God. So don't mess. Are you getting frustrated yet with this awesome dude having trouble really getting it? Verse 15. 
Again, as a thankful customer, he then says, dude, I'm going to bless you. Have you ever worn a tuxedo? I mean, I got some I got some money for you. I got some gold for you. You are to be honored. Please accept this gift. And you know what's interesting, though? God is moving in his heart. He's calling himself your servant. Now, think about this. Where did all this start? This started with his little enslaved Anna de Armas slave girl, captured servant. And she makes a suggestion to someone who makes a suggestion to someone who makes a suggestion. And then he goes on this wild adventure. And he says, I am your servant. Verse 16. Elisha, the prophet, answered, as surely as Yahweh lives. That's the name of our God. Yahweh lives, whom I serve. I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. And now he's like, I get it. Money's not the thing that, okay, I'm money, gold. Okay, the gold is worthless. He's adding to his faith. He's sort of got the, not quite a monotheist yet. I get it. To be a prophet, you've got to remain under the poverty line. That's how it works. Verse 17, if you will not, said Naaman, then please let me, your servant. And this is the most important verse in the whole story. So pay close attention here. This is where the music turns up and the drama and all that. Let me, let me your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but Yahweh. That's the name of their God. And, and if you look in the Bible there, it actually is Y-H-W-A. It's, it's the, it's the tetragram. Your Bible may say Lord, but you notice it's all capital letters. He's actually saying your God, Yahweh, is the only one. And he feels like, you know what? I get it. He says, if your God, Yahweh, oversees Israel, and I want to now worship your God, Yahweh, and I need to be on your soil because that's where the magic is, can I take some of your soil with me? I got two mules here, or two Ford F-150s, and I'm just going to load them up as much as they can carry, and I'm going to take them back with me. Let's pack them up so I can put the dirt down When I pray to your God, does he get it? He doesn't. He's still thinking, we got our God and your God is over there, so your dirt is holier than my dirt. Is he there? And here's the crazy part. Here's the nutty part. Elisha doesn't correct him. I don't get that. That's not... The Bible is supposed to be so clean and tidy. And Elisha doesn't correct him, doesn't fix him. Naaman has come very far, but he still has far to go. Naaman is open, but he views everything based on his, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years of how he's lived life. And Elisha somehow honors that. That I found curious. When I heard one of my mentors give this lesson, Four or five years ago, I think four years ago, no, five years ago now, kind of blew my mind. This part blew my mind. Verse 18, Naaman said, but may Yahweh forgive your servant for this one thing. 
when my master, the king, enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he's leaning on me, and I have to bow there also. And when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may Yahweh forgive your servant for this. See, what we expect from Elisha, I would expect him to say, listen, you got to be courageous, dude. you got to stand up for this. You need to pass out pamphlets for Yahweh outside the temple of Rimon. No way, dude. You're either in or you are out. You have weak faith. You turn from Rimon. Don't even get close to that temple. You tell that king that you follow Yahweh. See, it's actually really clear here. There's no gray here. It's black or white. You need to make some decisions here, Naaman. But what does Elisha say? (laughs) This is freaky. He doesn't say that stuff. He says, go in peace. Peace is that Hebrew word shalom. And when you would say go in peace, you're saying go in the peace of Yahweh. This is a blessing. Yahweh will be with you. You're not there in your faith. He wasn't ready to go from zero to a hundred, although he had the heart that wanted to. He wasn't ready, but he was on the voyage. His heart, you can tell, was in the right place. Does Naaman get it? Yes and no. He made massive progress. He believed in a different God previously. He was too successful and too proud to even consider the Jewish God. His own enslaved girl had to help him. He took a risk by asking his king. He experimented. He sent a letter. His king sent the letter to the enemy king. The Jewish king was not helpful. But Naaman stayed faithful. He got called to visit the prophet. He does. He shows up with a motorcade, meets Kevin Hart. He felt disrespected. He almost lost it, almost stopped the whole process. But God had surrounded Naaman with some kind-hearted people, slave girls, servants. He humbled himself. He got baptized. He got physically healed. But that was just part of his journey, his spiritual journey. And then he decides that Yahweh is better than his local deity. He's still a henotheist. So he tries to show gratitude with payment, but he was rejected. What's up with that? So can I have some of your dirt, please? And can Yahweh forgive me? And in the end, Elisha says, yeah, peace be with you. The God of peace. This is crazy. See, some things in life are black and white. Some things are obvious. They're clear. There are black and white. They're what you would expect. And then you've got another issue that some of us have. There's a a book written by another one of my favorite authors called The Sin of Certainty. When you're so certain, you no longer have a place for faith and you no longer have a place to grow. If I ask you right now, is your faith in the same place as it was 10 years ago? I sure hope you say no. You need to be growing. Do you believe some things differently, better, stronger? You do. If you're growing, are you learning? In 10 years, that should be the same case. You or should be on this adventure. If you're so certain, then you will end up not having faith. Some of us have been taught that God has found an elimination of tension, but that's not true. God is there with you in the midst of your tension. Some things in life are ambiguous. 
The older I get, I see there are things that are gray and it doesn't make sense to me. I struggle with attention. I struggle with, you know, my integrity. I'm in business. There's a lot of things that are like, gosh, you see all these other people doing shortcuts. What do you do? What do you do? They're not paying those taxes. Why do I have to kind of, do I need to claim everything? Yeah, you're tempted with all kinds of stuff to be righteous and do the right thing. And God's there with you in the midst of it. Parenting can be ambiguous. You know, we have two kids that play soccer, and I'll just say it. They're really good at soccer. And I became a soccer fan by being a soccer dad. And um, the thing is, you have these decisions. There's a tournament on a Sunday or on a weekend. So I could be hardline and say, no, we are never missing church for soccer. I could also go the other direction and say, no, we are never missing soccer for church. There's tension there. And I could give you scriptures for both sides. How are you going to evangelize those people out there if you're always in church and God's putting these people right in your life and you can't spend time with them because you're the weirdo? God does this and sometimes it's just a bit fuzzy. Discipling Naaman. Think about Elisha's life. Naaman says... This is tough. I can't imagine what I'm going to go through when I get back to Aram, when I see my boss. He's going to bow down to Rimon, and then I'm going to have to bow down, and I want to keep my job. And it goes on and on. There's not that much harm, is there? You know what? He's come so far. And we can honor that and not expect him to be a full-blown evangelist on day one. His heart is in the right place. Elisha says, go in peace. God is with you. So what we're going to do in the month of January, I'm going to do a little little aside here. We're going to start a class. It's going to be called I Doubt It. And there's a lot of people going through deconstruction. If you don't know what that means, that's awesome for you. You don't need the class. If you're going through deconstruction, you've probably heard the word deconstruction. Deconstructing my faith. Can you help me? Well, we're going to be doing a class on that. I'm going to be leading. It's going to be twice a month. It'll probably be before church on Sundays. And we're going to bring all our questions about the contradictions in the Bible, all our questions about God and Jesus and LGBTQ and all the things that don't make sense. And we're going to go through those. And we're going to start with the teens and the college students. And we're going to have a number of sessions here. And you might have a doubt that I've never had, but I doubt it. I've been doubting for a long time, probably longer than you. Well, maybe not, but probably longer than you. I know I look 36, but I'm not. Each session, we're going to have 30 minutes talking about the principles of dealing with doubt and deconstruction. And then we're going to have 30 minutes tackling several specific doubts, several specific topics. Was there really Jonah and they didn't really get swallowed and all this stuff? Let's deal with it. Whether Methuselah really 969 years, I mean, how does that work? We're going to talk about it. So are you ready for 2022? Are you ready to experiment? Are you ready to say, ah, now I get it, only to be disappointed (laughs) a month later? Because you just moved forward an inch, and that's awesome for you. God is working. Are you ready to listen to the nobodies? Oh, that person's so unimportant. That servant girl, 
Are you ready to get baptized even if you feel like it's weird, it's different? We don't. I never grew up that way. My church, and I don't. Well, why in the Bible? But I know the Bible. Are you ready to just get baptized? If that's what the if that's what the Bible says, if that's what the prophet says, just do it. Are you ready to change your world view? If you're Elisha, I would say, are you ready for surprises? You say, I can't relate to Naaman. I'm the guy that's helpful. I'm the helper. I'm the Elisha in this story. Are you ready for some surprises? Are you ready for God to put people in your life who are different? People who want your help. They come to your door with their F-150s. They stand there and they expect you to wave your hands and do something to fix their marriage. You're a Christian. How come you're not perfect? You can fix me, can't you? You can fix my kid. Because I don't need it. But my kid, he needs the help. Let me tell you. Are you ready to deal with the people who God sends you who don't even know the basics? And whenever they think they do, you're still like, welcome to the adventure. Are you ready for ambiguity? Are you ready to accept the tension Instead of just needing everything to be perfect and clear, because it's not. It's just not. It's not all clear. That's the adventure. What do I want you to remember from this sermon? You are neither a success nor a failure. Okay? Experimenting is a good thing. You should experiment. It means you have faith. You're willing to follow God through these opportunities that he provides you. Naaman went on an experimentation adventure. Think about that. And think, just put yourself, read this story when you get back home. Read this for your quiet times. And just meditate on the story and visualize the story and visualize those F-150s. And realize the adventure God put him on. You're on that same adventure. Maybe you've got a Chevy. I don't know. Naaman kept thinking, now I get it. But he didn't, and he remained humble, and he kept growing. And Elisha didn't judge him. (laughs) It's crazy. Elisha was pretty hard line with him, but he didn't condemn him and say, oh, my gosh, you still don't get it. Come on. How long do we have to deal with this? God allows space for the gray and the ambiguous, because if you've got the right heart, you will get there. God will keep putting maidservants in your life who you captured. You did something bad. God turns it into good. God will still keep putting a king in your life, a boss who is better than you than you expected. God will put weirdos like the other king who's like, oh, no, trouble. God will bring you to you think you're meeting Idris Elba and you're meeting Kevin Hart. You're like, come on, God, what's with this? Jesus lived every day in the tension you know, go through the stories of Jesus. Almost every single paragraph, you know, with the headings, it's called a pericope. Every little section there, almost every one of them is a surprise. Hardly any of them are plans. Follow Jesus around. Take a look. He probably got out his schedule in the morning. He said, okay, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and then I'm going to buy some groceries, and then after that I'm going to preach to the poor. And He had a whole plan. And you know what every one of these stories is? Just about every single one of them. A surprise. He's not expecting it. The unexpected. And then he has to deal with it. I hate unexpected stuff. I do. I'm like, I got my plan. And here comes Joe. And he wants my help. I don't got time for Joe. If you only knew Joe, how important I am. 
and how busy I am, Joe, you would get it. So give Steve a call. I'll help you. Most of the time, the disciples failed. Most of the time, the disciples didn't quite get it. Most of the time, the people just wanted something from him. Just, can you heal me? Can you feed me? Can you fix this whole Roman oppression thing? We really kind of, you know, we like our politics the way we like it. And this Roman oppression thing, you know, life can get really tough if the other side wins. What will happen if the other side, it's terrible. Jesus was like, you know what? It'll be fine. God's still faithful. We're going to do it. He was their Santa Claus for most people. So what we're going to do now, we're going to go into our communion conversation. We do this every week, and I love this, because it allows you to get to know the people around you. It allows you to take the time to internalize the thoughts that you're having right now. As, we're, as the word of God hopefully is speaking to you, making you think, and as you're asking yourself these questions about the tension and about all of your aha, I finally get it moments, what we do is we break up into groups of three to five people right around you. You can turn your chairs, talk to the people around you. We're going to discuss uh, one simple question, take about five minutes for that, and then afterwards I'm going to come back and we're going to have a prayer for bread and wine, and then we're going to take our communion, which is the, the body of Christ, which is the bread, and the, the, uh, the blood of Christ is represented through the juice or the wine. And the question that I want you to go away with and, uh, and discuss is, in what ways is God calling you higher by placing tension in your life? Remember, you're on that adventure of experimentation, and there's tension. And in what ways is God using that tension with you, Naaman? All right, we'll be back in five minutes. I think, uh, first of all, let's, um, guys, let's give it up for Mark doing a tremendous job with today's lesson. Really insightful stuff. I think this is, um, material I know Mark and I have talked about for quite a long time and he, he, he's really deeply read and thought through so much of this material and presented it in a way that I think was easy to, to take in, kept us engaged, very insightful. There, you know, some of you might be wondering, hey, is that movie coming out later? You just saw the movie today, okay? So that was it, just to give you a little heads up. But really clever. And I think the kind of lesson that I think is going to feed us for a long time, a lot of stuff to be thinking about. You know, he talked about the tension that we're in, and we all had a discussion about the different tensions. You know, the message of the cross is the ultimate message of tension. Because Jesus... You know, he died because how bad is our sin? How much did we hurt God? Enough to kill the Son of God. And yet, how much are we loved? And how valuable and how precious, how important are you? Enough that God would give his very Son for you. So we live within this tension of infinite love, and yet knowing, wow, we don't deserve it. What an incredible blessing. What a what a powerful message. And that's the life we get to experience and live as we hold out the hope that comes from Jesus and the tension that he lived within and that we bring to our world right now. The tension will be resolved someday when he returns. In the meantime, we live within that tension, trusting him at the cross, giving his life, saying, you're so precious. 
Please take responsibility, own, and see, and begin that experimentation that Mark talked about of this journey of drawing closer to God. Let's pray at this time. Father, thank you so much for Jesus and what he has done, giving his life, his body, his bloodshed. And we know that uh, we experience this incredible um, challenging tension, but we have this hope of newness. We get this resolution from you, and we know someday all things, even on this earth, will be resolved, but not until you return. Father, help us at this time to remember your body given for us, your blood shed for us, and to be filled with a gratitude as we're daily transformed evermore into your likeness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.